We're going to do something a little bit different today, if that's OK. Um, and there's a reason for it. Um, I need, could I have four um, volunteers who are bold? I need four bold volunteers. They don't have to come up. OK, four bold volunteers who can read well, because we're going to read some scripture. That's what it's for. OK, Jeff is one. Do you want to read, Michael? Well, I'm having problems with my eyes. OK. I got you on deck for whatever else is ready to jump up here. Now, if you want somebody to talk, you're ready. Okay, all right, got it. Any other volunteers? All right, Dory, you're awesome. Anybody else volunteers? Jerry will take one. Anybody else? Okay, Jim. All right, Jim Moss, can you please? You're going to start. We're going to read a bunch. Is everybody okay with that? Listen, we're going to read basically the Book of Colossians. And that's why I'm saying it's a little bit different because we don't usually read giant chunks of scripture. Don't fall asleep. If you're tired, stand up. It's okay. I used to do that in meetings sometimes. If you're really tired, you can stand in the back of the room. Let's hear the scripture together. There's a reason for it. And there's a reason for us to get a big chunk right now, which I usually don't do for sake of time. But I believe from the Lord it's important that we just hear this book together. So Jim is going to read chapter 1 of Colossians. Dory, you're going to read chapter 2. Uh, Jeff, you're going to read chapter 3. And then who is my last person? Oh, J Jerry. Jerry, can you read chapter 4 for us? But we're only going to read until through verse 6. So just the, six, just the first six verses of chapter 4. All right, are we ready? Okay. Oh, you've got to have the microphone too, so come on up here. Jim, come on up. Dory, you're going to be on deck. So you've got to come up here to read, though. Yeah, this, this is... I know. Here, you can use this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossia, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it always does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. <clears throat> he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. 
and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. For, all, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Good job. Hi, Dory. All right, I've got the amplified version. It's all right, go for there it. There might be a little extra fluff. It's all right. <clears throat> for I want you to know how great is my solitude, solicitude, for yeah, you, struggle. how severe an inward struggle I am engaged in for you and for those believers at Laodicea. Mm -hmm. And for all who, like yourselves, have never seen my face and known me personally, for my concern is that their hearts may be braced, comforted, cheered, and encouraged as they are knit together in love, that they may come to have all the abounding wealth and blessings of assured conviction of this understanding, and that they may become progressively more intimately acquainted with, with and may know more definitely and accurately and thoroughly that mystic secret of God, which is Christ the Anointed One. Good job. You want me to read you. this one? Yep, okay. start right there. This is 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by, philosoph by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised, and with circumcision made without hands, 
but putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him and baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith and in powerful working with God who raised him from the dead. And you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of us our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over triumphing over them in him. Let no one disqualify you. Therefore, let no passive judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, Asceticism. Asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous, sorry guys, minds, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the, the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to an elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to these things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Good job. Yeah. You did great. Thanks. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Thank you, Lord. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you once too walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so must you also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell within you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as it's fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service or as people pleasers, but with a sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong that he has done. And there is no partiality with God. Amen. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear how which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech also always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Amen. Thank you, Jerry. Can we give our readers a round of applause? Everybody okay? Kids, you did a great job. You guys listened so well. I'm very proud of you. Excellent job. Um, here's why we did that. We love Jesus and we love his word. Did you know that a roughly a quarter of all high school graduates will never read another book in their life, according to Pew Research, like surveys and stuff? High school graduates will never read another book in their life. Roughly that same quarter, a third of all our population at the end of the day after any advanced degrees will never read another book in their life. And the reason I'm telling you that is, this is how it was. That took us 13 minutes, 13 minutes to read that. All of these books were read to people who couldn't read and were read to them like that. So imagine great-grandpa, the patriarch of the family, this case Paul, who's the apostle over the church. He's in prison for the family business. Standing up for righteousness, they're being oppressed, things are not going great. In a lot of ways, the people are being pushed down and they're losing business contracts because they're not following the popular gods, but instead they're bowing the knee to Jesus and they won't engage in all the weird stuff that's happening in Roman society. When I say weird stuff, I mean violence, 
sexual deviancy, all kind of stuff, by which you be ex you're accepted. It's kind of like if you don't go to the strip club with all the guys after work, you're not really included. And they can't trust you with their business if you don't do something wrong with them. We all know what that's like, right? That kind of feel. But in here, it's been inst institutionalized so that it's become part of the normal business practice of the day. And great-grandpa has gone, and he's in jail now, and he's written a letter to encourage us, and we're going to read it for everybody. How would you feel hearing those words for the first time? Built up and strengthened, and that you're in Christ, and he's taken your guilt, and he's nailed it to the cross. He's made you his. He's given you works to walk in. Avoid all those evil things. Don't do that. That's not you anymore. Now you're in Jesus, and you're, because of his death and his resurrection, because of your faith in him, you're a new creation. And you put on Christ, and you live this way that looks like no more slander or malice, because something's different in you. And Christ, when he appears, he is our life, and you will know glory too. So hold on. Even though I'm in jail, and you might be in jail too, hold on to the faith. And they heard it in 13 minutes of reading, a little bit longer actually, because he goes on to actually greet people. Say hi to Tychius. I'm sending you this guy. This is happening. Which we didn't read those things, those notes. Because it's like a family. And the reality is in our culture, and we're not going to read like this every time, you know, and I'm not trying to make a big statement of like we need to read more, but we do need to be in the Word more. And we need it to be in us. And the convenience of the one-minute sound bites. You know what I've noticed recently? I really like uh, movie trailers. I like you know, because somebody's got to take that whole story and not reveal the story. Because you got, have you ever watched a trailer that tells you the whole, like literally tells you the big surprise and you're like, oh, well, I don't need to see that one. You know, that's what a bummer. So it can't tell you the whole story, but it has to engage you in one minute to be like, I want to see that and I want to know what this story is. And so I, I like trailers because I like how did they figure out how to do that. But lately I've noticed they're so short. And so we were, we were watching something the other day and we were like, what's up with these trailers? It's like random action, 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 a little song, and you're like, what? I don't even know what this is about or what, why we're supposed to watch this. And so our culture is moving and moving and moving towards smaller sound bites all the time to capture your attention with flashing lights for just a minute. And if you've ever had to tell a story to kids, you notice that that's real. Because imagine a child, these kids did wonderful. It's very hard to sit for two minutes. Three minutes, 15 minutes, holy moly. High school seniors, man, it's hard to get anybody to sit for that length of time. As the word of God, though, permeates us and we read it and we hear what God is saying, there's so much in this book of Colossians that if we just read about, so don't involve yourself in this immoral stuff, you miss out on all the things that Paul has said for two chapters of what Christ has done and how he's made us his. And really, there's a lot of cultural things that are happening here. Uh, when I was a little boy, a little boy, when I was, I've, I've been about this height since birth, basically. <laughs> so uh, I'm kind of a pretty big guy. You know, my mother, God bless her, is actually a little tiny lady. But uh, when I was 16, I had to have my tonsils removed. Do you all remember Harlan Muntz? Guy used to be in the church here. And Harlan was a, a fantastic surgeon. He was an ear, nose, and throat surgeon. And he worked at St. Louis Children's Hospital. And so when I was 16, um, I, would, I needed to have my giant golf ball-sized tonsils removed. And so he was going to do the surgery. And so I went to Children's Hospital, 
and met with him and did all this stuff. And then the day of the surgery came, and I'm sitting in the room, and you, you got to be washed, and you're having surgery, right? So you're washed, and you're wearing this, the gowns and all this stuff. And he walked in, and he goes, now, Stephen? And Harlan was about this tall, uh, Dr. Muntz. And so Dr. Muntz said, now, Stephen? He goes, usually I sing a song, and I carry my patients back to the operating room <laughs> because I want them to know it's going to be OK. And so I want you to know it's going to be OK. I can sing the song for you, but will you carry me? <laughs> <laughs> I said, Dr. Mudd, sure thing. <laughs> no, I did it. We just walked together. Uh, and so I had the surgery, tonsils removed. And at the end, I remember you know, the bright, this bright light. And I'm coming out of the anesthesia, which is the weirdest feeling ever, right? So I'm coming out of the anesthesia. And I remember this nurse, like I became aware of this present, presence. And she was so lovely and kind. And she said, are you OK? Are you feeling all right? And I kept swallowing. And it hurt. I said, I think I'm OK. But my feet, my feet hurt so bad. And I was, on, I was in the elevator on a children's bed, and my feet were hanging over, and the doors were shutting on my feet. And she goes, oh, Jesus, and pulled me in. <laughs> that was my experience. So later on, Dr. Munz, hey, we did great. It went fine. Everything was great. And I said, I said thank you so much, Dr. Munz, but my, my feet really, maybe I need a longer bed next time. You know? And he goes, well, you're a giant, so I can't help you. <laughs> I tell you that story for this reason. If you're going to have surgery done to you, you have to be set apart for that surgery. You have to be washed. There's protocols. There's things that happen. Dr. Muntz is not going to just carry a random child back into surgery. There's pre-tests. There's all these things that happen. And then before that, before the actual surgery happens, whatever the way of going back into the surgery is, you have to be washed. You have to be clean. You wear special clothes. You don't get to go in the ER. As a family member, you don't get to stand in the ER and watch. You don't get to be in there like, oh, uh, mm -hmm, yep, oh, that's a tonsil, good job. It doesn't work that way. Why not? Because it's a consecrated area. It's special, it's set apart. And basically, the book of Colossians is about how God has made you a consecrated people, set apart for himself through Christ Jesus, who's the king of the earth, who is the one who created all things. All things were made for him and by him, and he fills all things. He knits all things together. He's the king of the world. All things would fall apart without him. And it was his good pleasure to take you and set you apart, that you would be his so that he might fill you. Did you know when the Israelites came out of slavery in Egypt, they were basically Egyptians. So for 400 years, they lived in Egypt, they were slaves, they built stuff, they were really good at making bricks, that's all they knew. And then God comes and he rescues his people. Do you remember how he rescued them? In terrifying ways through plagues. Plagues came on the people of Egypt, it was terrifying. Could you imagine everything going to utter darkness? I mean, a river turning to blood? It's terrifying. And God was dealing with the Egyptians because what he was really doing was confronting all of their idols. The idol of the Nile? Well, God has power over him. I'll turn the, the water into blood. All the fish die. Where's your God now? And so the Egyptian people have to say, I think the Hebrews' God is stronger than our God. The locusts, all, every, the frogs... The frogs looked like the, they had a frog idol. Did you know that? One of their gods was the shape of a frog and was a frog, and they worshipped it. And so God sent a plague of frogs. So, all right, well, let's see if your frog god can 
deal with it. Couldn't. So they're delivered in power, and they go out, they cross the Red Sea. It's amazing. And then God brings them to Mount Sinai, and he tells them at Mount Sinai, I want you to know that I'm with you with my presence. And so we're going to make a special tent called the tabernacle. And that tabernacle is where you can come meet with me because the people are terrified of God. Because they've watched that he is stronger than the frogs. He is stronger than the locusts. He's stronger than light itself. He can change the sun. He can change the moon. He can change anything. He has power over life and death. He's God not to be trifled with. And he's our deliverer, and we're very blessed by that. And also, we need to know how we should approach this God. And so they make this tent called the tabernacle. And when Moses, who's the leader, makes the tabernacle all consecrated to God and all these things and an altar and this ark, the ark was a special box where they put the, the law in. And that was like God's throne that was inside the tabernacle. The way they would consecrate it is they sacrificed animals. They sprinkled blood all over those things. And then God's presence came down in a pillar of fire and rested over that tent so that the people would know that he was there. He burned up all the sacrifices. And then, because the fire was scary, he turned it into a pillar of cloud that by day a cloud would rest over the tabernacle and everyone would know God's presence is there in that place. Later on, things happen. God establishes the nation of Israel. He makes David the king. And David has this desire. This is the David who fought David and Goliath. And so he has this desire to make a house that's permanent, not a, not a tabernacle tent anymore, but a, a temple where we can come and worship God. And so the Lord gives him plans and says, this is what it's going to look like, but you're not going to do this. Your son's going to do it. So here comes King Solomon, David's son, and he builds this beautiful place. Gold is everywhere. It's, there was so much gold in Israel during Solomon's reign that silver was worthless. It was in abundance. And there were trees and cedars being imported and horses. And it was God's favor was on the people to build this place. And they built the place and they, they had this great sacrifice in a seven-day festival to dedicate and consecrate the temple. And they sacrificed the animals. And again, blood is put on all the instruments of the temple and on the Ark of the Covenant, which is like God's throne, put inside the most holy place of the temple. And they make this sacrifice for God. And there were so many animals that were sacrificed that they lost count somewhere over 120,000 lambs. They lost count. And they could not measure the amount of lambs and oxen that had been sacrificed as the people are having this celebration. This is why later when the Queen of Sheba comes, her breath is taken away by what's happening. And so this great sacrifice is done. And in this dedication of the temple, again, just like the tabernacle, a pillar of fire comes down from heaven and burns up the sacrifice. It's the greatest barbecue ever. It smells, uh, could you imagine? It would be weird smells. And then also barbecue smells. And, but the presence of God is there. And just like before the tabernacle, the fire dissipates and now a cloud comes. And the cloud descends with so much power that actually the priests who go in to try to do the temple services can't function. It's like it affects them, and they have to withdraw, and they can't stand under the cloud. They fall down because God's presence is so strong on this place. But here's the problem. With all those sacrifices, with all those things that happened, 
with all the consecration of the ark and all the things that were in the temple, with this beautiful building, the temple itself, the people still went after other gods. And when they were under the pressures, the same kind of pressures that the Colossian people are experiencing, that business is taken away from them, and unless they follow these idols, they're not going to be successful. And so they give in to all those things, they follow all the idols, and now the judgment of God comes upon them instead of that blessing. And now they find themselves separated from God again. The temple's utterly destroyed. They're taken away into captivity. Things are looking horrible. Because the blood of bulls and goats was not enough to cleanse people. And the consecration of those temples was not enough by the great sacrifices, even without number sacrifices, was not enough to appease God's wrath over sin or to make the people really clean. And so God instead had a different plan that he would send his own son, Jesus, who is God in every way, the fullness of him who fills all things. He's the creator. He's God forever. The second person of the Trinity became a man on our behalf. And as a baby was born, helpless, but he would grow up living a perfect life. He would fulfill all the law. And then he would die on the cross for us. And when he died on the cross for us, the one blood, the one sacrifice that could cleanse sin was poured out for us. And suddenly all the people seeing it realized for the first time in history that it wasn't the blood of bulls and goats that God was after, but they were just a reflection. They were just a foreshadow of this perfect sacrifice who would die on the cross for us because his blood is enough. And he died for us, taking the wrath of sin, the punishment that is due all rebellion against God, is death. He died for us. He was buried in a tomb, and three days later, he burst out of that tomb with life coursing through his veins again. Alive, he defeated death. He defeated sin. He's the great victor over all things. He's our king forever. He is our life, and his resurrection is the down payment of our life in him. That as he lives, we will live too. And the Bible tells us, Paul tells us here in Colossians, that when that happened, the record of our debts was nailed to the cross. You ever had a lot of debt for something? One time I was in a science class in 11th grade with Dr. Shaw, physics. And I was doing an experiment and somebody in the, in the middle of January, and somebody opened a window while I was heating up a glass with a Bunsen burner. It was getting really hot, and we're doing the experiment. We're working on this thing, and then the wind came through with a little snow in it. It was so cold, and that little special glass broke into a million pieces. And that stupid glass was like $32. And Mr. Shaw, Dr. Shaw, wrote me a note with a bill for $32. And I was in high school, and I had 42 cents to my name. 42 cents. I had nothing. So I had to come and beg my dad to pay the bill. And my dad, to send us to school, used to do side jobs and aeration, like core aeration with machines and all kind of stuff, just to get us to go to school. And he was like, 30 was $32. You better work. You're going to have to figure this out. I was like, Dad, I, I, I wasn't my fault. Somebody opened the window, and the thing cracked. 
He said, son, I love you. Here's, here's the money. Go give it to Dr. Shaw. And the next day I came and I brought my bill and I gave it to Dr. Shaw with $32. And he said, good, this is finished. And he stuck it on his desk with tape. It's done. Put a stamp on it. This is paid because he's a very organized person. And in our lives, every time we lie, every time we have selfish thoughts that we act on, every time we choose convenience instead of obedience, every time we talk bad against our parents, every time we downgrade somebody and call them an idiot and stupid, every time we use water cooler talk to talk against people because we know it will make us more popular, every time we fall into sexual deviancy and fall into pornography or lustful thoughts or we let our minds wander or whatever it is, Every time we worship something that we covet so much that somebody else has and it becomes an idol in our lives that we want more than we want God's presence. Every time we measure ourselves up against our neighbor and we think, I'm much better than her. Every time we use fashion to make ourselves feel better and more superior. Every time we look at somebody else's relationship and we say, God, why don't you care about me? Because if you cared about me, you would have given me that. And we thumb our noses at God who has provided all things for us. Every time we think that we can do it in our status, in our money, in our pedigree, in our education, instead of trusting him, we have debts that have built up against us. And God is the best record keeper. Nothing comes out of his mind because here's the, the deal. God knows our hearts. He can see our innermost thoughts. He knows who we are. It's not just, oh, you lied that one time and I put that down. He knows everything that we've done and who we really are. And God, in his kindness, decided to consecrate you, not with blood of bulls and goats that was sprinkled in the tabernacle or sprinkled in the temple, but instead with the precious blood of his own son. He would put it over you to wash you clean. And when he did that, he took the record of your debt that you could never pay, and he nailed it with a nail onto the cross so that Christ's blood would fall down on it and it would be completely absolved. And now, instead of being a debtor to God, you are made a son and a daughter of his, wrapped in the robes of his righteousness and given a new identity in him that you would be a new creation and raised with him because he put the record of debt onto the cross and onto Christ. And now when Christ raised to life, you raised to life by faith, not the debtor anymore, but now the son, now the daughter, now the joint heir, now the princess, now the prince in the kingdom. With him, because of him, all for him, it's all for Jesus. Not that you can boast, but I can boast in him because his work is so complete and so good and so righteous. And he is our life. You're consecrated. You're set apart to worship him. In Acts chapter 2, when the early church is waiting, Jesus has ascended. He's gone back to heaven. And he said, wait here until the counselor comes and then you will know power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And they're afraid in an upper room because the Jews are seeking their lives. And they can hear the jubilation of a festival outside and 120 are gathered and they're praying and they're saying, Lord, help us. And the Holy Spirit suddenly rushes in like a mighty rushing wind. He comes in and what happens to the people but a fire of God descends like a pillar on their head because God has a new temple now. The temple's not a building anymore. It's a consecrated people. It's you with the Holy Spirit in you because Christ resides in you. 
that you have been consecrated to be his seat, his throne on the earth because he is in you. And just like the tabernacle and just like the temple, fire came down upon those places to show this is my dwelling place now with men. And it's you. It's you. And here's the good thing. That was a sign and a wonder to show what God was doing. Maybe when you got saved, you didn't, you're like, I didn't see a fire. You got filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you spoke in tongues, but you didn't. You're like, I don't, I don't know. But I'm it was a sign and wonder to show the reality of what God is doing. Because now you just whisper and he's there. You don't have to go anymore to the tabernacle and walk a day's journey. You don't have to go anymore to the temple and walk through the right courts because he is in you and you are in him and you are his. And there is no sin that can separate you from the love of God because he has consecrated you and he has poured out his blood on you. You are his. So don't let your life fall back into the things in which you once lived. And this is what Paul tells us. Let there be no sexual immorality. How can you live this life in Christ and then give yourself to pornography? How can you live this life in Christ and know him and give yourself to these lustful thoughts? How can you become a liar? How can you not forgive people? How can you not live his way? We live his way not because we're good enough, not because we're strong enough, not because we're dedicated enough, but because he has filled us and consecrated us, set us apart to be his. Do you believe that? Because it's easy to stop and start thinking about other things. The message for you today is this. You are consecrated. A people of consecration to be God's own possession. And he is in you. And it doesn't matter that you are not good enough. He knows you're not good enough. But he is good enough. And he has filled you and made you his. So that out of you would come the works of righteousness. That you would demonstrate his kingdom in the family business everywhere you go. Walk in those good works. And when you're tempted to go back to those things and your mind wanders to them because it happens, you can say, no, 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 no. I've been sprinkled by the blood. I belong to Jesus. I'm a new creation now. I'm not going to give in to those things because of what he's done. And you will be a shining beacon to the world. When I was a senior in high school, uh, I was really interested in becoming a doctor. And so I had the opportunity to go with Dr. Muntz at Children's Hospital and um, shadow him for a little bit just to see what doctor things were like, which was a great experience and opportunity. And Dr. Muntz, again, I'm a gargantuan, and Dr. Muntz is a short guy. And not short, but he's shorter than me. And so I had the opportunity to go with him and to see patients and the whole thing. And so he, just, he said, follow me and don't say anything. And he gave me one of his jackets. So I had straight up, it did not fit, so he found another one that fit lab coat and I had a lab coat on and I walked around and he gets, he's like, here's a clipboard, take notes. And I just was with him. And so everywhere I went, he would say, this is a student, this is Steven, he's gonna sit with us. And people would ask me, oh, where, what are you? And I'm, I'm a senior, because I was a senior in high school. They would assume I was in my senior residency. So fast forward four days, I'm standing in surgery where he's taking a tumor the size of a softball out of an 11 year old girl's head that's in her sinuses, it's threatening her life and they have to remove it right away. And they called in Dr. Muntz. And I'm in the surgery. I scrubbed in, I was clean, I was ready to go. And here I am standing in there talking to all the other doctors. And they're chatting with me and everything. And suddenly one of them realizes, oh Lord, 
this is a high schooler. <laughs> and just flips her lid. She's like, you've, have you contaminated anything? And I was like, I don't know. I've been standing right here. Like, you can't touch anything. I was like, I know. They told me to stand right here. I've been standing right here. And we were in there like eight hours. And so, so this, we're like six hours into the surgery, and they're like, this guy doesn't belong. And I did not belong, because I was not a surgeon. Here's the funny part. It was fine, praise God, it was amazing. The experience was incredible, and I said in that moment, I am not supposed to be a doctor. And it was great. And here I am, praise the Lord. The Lord was clear and good. It was awesome. But I wanna tell you this, the devil and the world are gonna tell you you do not belong. You scrubbed in, you put on the right uniform, you look apart, if they really scratch the surface, if they could see what you really did when you were 13, if they could see what you did when you were 22, if they could see what you did when you were 35, ugh, you'd be disqualified. And they'd know, and then the ruse is up. I'm telling you from the Bible, you are consecrated. He has removed your sin from you because Jesus' blood is more powerful than your sin. His blood is more effective than your rebellion. Slavery in Christ and belonging to him and being made a son breaks all the chains of slavery to sin. You only belong to Jesus. And you've been made his and clothed with power because he loves you and has made you his. Now be a people of consecration. And don't just look down and see the scrubs and think, I shouldn't be in surgery. Look down and see his robes of righteousness that he has placed on you and the name tag that says joint heir with Christ because you are his. And that is your birthright. And that is your heritage. And that is what it means to be in the covenant with Jesus Christ. And ready? All the benefits that we haven't even talked about of being filled with the Holy Spirit and power to do all the things he's called us to. Where in the moment when God calls you to do something, you are his selection out of all people in the earth that he wants you to do that for him in that place. And it usually looks like affecting somebody else's life and speaking the truth. And God fills you with power to do it. And what do we say? I'm not effective. I can't do it. I don't know. I, they're going to know I'm a fake. You're not a fake because he's not a fake. His truth outshines our fakiness. And he's good. So trust him. What should you do? Read the book of Colossians this week. Commit it to yourself and resolve in yourself, Lord, I am yours and I trust you. And if there is sin that you're holding on to or secret idolatry or something you keep going back to, give it up to him. And if it's too powerful for you where you feel like I am in chains by this thing, find an elder, find somebody in the church and say, help me, stand with me because his blood is enough. It's enough. And also, he knits us together to hold each other up. No more slave or free Scythian. No more barbarian, but just Christ and in Christ. Amen? Let's stand together. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you that you're with us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your truth. Thank you, Lord, that you're not fake. Lord, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus, let us know our heritage that you, because you've consecrated us and made us yours, Lord, that we would walk with you in fervor and in urgency and in, in life in your mission. Lord, we trust you. We thank you, Father. And Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that anyone who right now is being reminded of any sins or reminded of 
past deviancy or reminded of life before and things that happened, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you, O God, would separate in their minds that sin as far as the east is from the west, that you would pour your blood over it, Father, that they would know in the mighty name of Jesus that they are consecrated because of you and that that debt is nailed to the cross and is dead and gone. And now that they are equipped with your righteousness to do what you call them to. Father, use us. Use us for your glory, we pray. And now because of him who is able to do more than we could ask or think, he is with you. He has consecrated you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, know his salvation. God bless you. Have a fantastic week. Hopefully we'll see you on Friday for an awesome Bible study. God bless you all. We're dismissed.